Alright guys, what's up? Welcome to Teens on a Mission. I'm your host, Trey Vela. Thank you so much for joining with me today. I have Alex Harrington with me today. He's going to be sharing his testimonies. I've already, I've heard it once, um, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. Um, I'm super, super excited for this one. Quick announcement. Uh, you might have noticed we didn't have an episode Wednesday, but that is because I've been super busy lately, had some stuff stacking up. Um, we will be taking a break because we're going to be doing a study on Job soon. So we're going to have to take a break so I can do the study, get some things figured out, pray about it and get my stuff together so we can all do, um, a Job study together. But this is Alex. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Hey everyone, Trey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, super excited to be here. Uh, as Trey said, my name is Alex Harrington. Um, I am 31, I think, somewhere around there, 31, 32. Uh, what is it? What is it? What, after you hit like 25, it doesn't matter. You stop counting. So, um, yeah, I'm super excited to share my testimony. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really praying that it blesses somebody today. Um, you know, I, uh, I was going through some things this morning and um, this line kind of popped into my head and it was, uh, God isn't coincidental. He is very intentional. Um, mm -hmm. So if you've got this in your ears right now or you're watching it on YouTube, however you're experiencing it, um, definitely hope that you're blessed by it and uh, it touches you. So uh, I'll start up kind of from the beginning. Uh, I was raised in church, you know, from the time that I was born. I can always remember being in church, and it was, you know, Wednesday nights. We were involved with the, you know, King's Kids is what we called it back then, and we had our little vests, and, you know, it was kind of like a Boy Scouts type of deal for all the kids of the church, and you could earn scripture badges and, you know, badges for doing good things or grades. So, um, you know, I, I knew the truth from the beginning my whole life. I've known it. And uh, it was, you know, Wednesday nights we were in church, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights. We were very close with our pastor and his family. Um, they had a couple daughters. One was, I think, maybe one or two years older than me. The other one was five or six years. Um, but we were very close with them. Uh, my uncle is a pastor now. His wife led worship at their pastor for a really long time. My mom was a worship leader. You know, I served on their worship team when we went to their church. Uh, so... You know, it's something that has been ingrained in me from the beginning. Um, not the way that I've lived my whole life, obviously. I probably, uh, you know, I think everybody has a testimony no matter where you've been or what you've done or um, what walks of life you've went through. Uh, but mine, you know, definitely was the 180 spectrum completely turned my back from all the truth that I knew and have been taught my whole life uh, and really went down, you know, a pretty dark path. And... Uh, it started, you know, my uncle prayed for me uh, when I was younger. I might be jumping a little bit ahead in the story, um, but I remember distinctly to this day being at the altar, and it was like the first time somebody ever really had spoke something over my life. And uh, we prayed at the altar for a while, and at the end, when we were all finished up, he said, man, Alex, you know, I, I, I really got to tell you, I think that the Lord has anointed your life for ministry. And he said, I, I, I've gotten it before when I prayed it, been praying over you but like tonight especially it's something that I just really feel in my heart and I kind of like it, it hit me when he said it to me you know I was at that age um, it was probably when I was 
the most on fire for God from a younger age because there was definitely a period like in between 8 and 12 that I would say I was pretty on fire for God. Um, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit for the first time at around 10 or 11 um, at a youth camp. It was one of those week-long deals, and the whole sermon was about being baptized and what it meant and that it was a gift. And, you know, if you believed and you had faith and you prayed it, it would, you know, it would be a gift that you received. And I remember it was like the most amazing thing that had ever happened to me. I couldn't stop talking about it for like two weeks straight. I'm sure people were like, dude, shut up. We get it. Like we, we've heard the story. Um, but you know, the enemy has been attacking me from a really, really young age. Um, I probably, I probably could have died more times than I could even count or begin to tell you. Um, but relevant to the story, there's definitely been times where, uh, I really probably should have died. Like I was, you know, on the brink mm -hmm. of it. Uh, the first time I was younger, I was probably, uh, I want to say I was in like the seven to 10 range. I don't really remember it super, super vividly. I definitely remember distinct portions of it. Um, but it started out with like a typical sickness, you know, like any kid gets. And I remember I, we'd been to the doctor and the doctor told us what to do and kind of given us some medicine and it wasn't getting better. And what spurred going back to the doctor, I was actually, it was in the middle of the night. Uh, my mom had heard me kind of ruffling around getting out of bed. So she came to check on me and I was going to the bathroom and I like kind of turned and looked and she was standing in the doorway. I was like, mom, what are you doing? And she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, it's obvious. Like I'm in the bathroom, going to the bathroom, like, please. And she was like, Alex, you're not in the bathroom. And I was like, what? And I was actually in our living room and I was about to use the bathroom in our VCR. Like I thought mm. that I was in our bathroom and she was like, okay, like something's really not right. We have to go back to the doctor. So um, the next morning, first thing in the morning, she took me back to my primary care and it was like one of those things, like, you know, when there's, there's certain times when you kind of understand the urgency of a situation. It was like that, like nothing was openly said to us about what was going on, but there was definitely an urgency in our doctor's voice and he was concerned. And so anytime, obviously a doctor is concerned, you're going to be concerned as well. Um, but he basically was like, the hospital knows that you're on the way you need to take him directly to the emergency room entrance and like they'll take it from there and so we went straight to the emergency room uh they took me upstairs i was admitted to the hospital and i degraded like really rapidly from there um basically my lips were swollen my face was swollen mm. uh, i had a rash all over my body my fever was like extraordinarily high and the thing was, there was there was no explanation. Um, it got to the point where they were sending in um, experts from like throughout the country to the point where I remember it was like a scene out of a movie. Like my mom was off in the corner of the hospital room and my bed was literally surrounded by like a dozen different doctors. Wow. And everyone was just flabbergasted. They had no idea what was going on. Um, they had speculation. They're like, well, it could be a variant of this and it, you know, it could be this, but oh, who knows? It could be that. Like, we don't know. Um, so they made, they took pictures, like photographers all over the place. And they actually made like, 
I might be really aging myself here, but you remember the slides that like they kind of slid into a projector and then yeah. you could like click them and they would mm. rotate. They made slides of like my face, of inside my mouth, of wow. my arms. And it got to the point where I I couldn't speak or eat for it was going on like six or seven days. It was right around the week. Wow. And I wasn't getting better. Nothing that they were doing was making me better to where the doctors had basically told my mom, like, this is this is serious. You need to, like, any loved ones, like, you need to tell them, like, to come say their goodbyes. Because, I mean, he could, like, this could be it at any minute. We, we just don't know. So, I mean, I remember my uncle from New York flew in. Uh, family from out of town was coming in. But what I remember the most is it wasn't. Like, no one came to say goodbye. Like, each time someone came in my room, I remember them praying for me. And mm-hmm. it was never, like, even when, like, I remember my pastor's daughter coming in, and, like, I could see the pain in her eyes, and she was crying seeing me like that. But, it like, there was never any doubt in anyone's mind when they came in that I was going to get better. Like, that was very evident to me. And I remember feeling a piece about it. Like, I don't ever remember being afraid or thinking, like, you know, and I was young, so maybe, you know, I don't want to say I didn't understand because I do think I definitely knew what was going on. But there was never fear. You know what I mean? Like there was yeah. always a calming piece about peace of God the was whole situation. A, a thousand percent. Like mm. there's just no other explanation. Um, and then I, I remember one night someone prayed for me. The next morning, uh, my grandma was in the room and I said the word popsicle. And it was like literally, Trey, it was like in the snap of a finger like i went to bed that night i woke up said popsicle they gave me a popsicle and it was like by that afternoon i was running up and down the hallways of the hospital wow, with man. no symptoms of anything that i had that's crazy and they still were like whoa we, we we have no idea like we don't know we don't know what happened we don't know what you had we don't know if it's dormant we don't know if it could ever come back um so praise god i've never Mm. been sick like that again but still to this day like we have no explanation um but i mean i was they were like it could be any minute now so that was like really the first time that an attempt on my life was like really genuinely made Mm -hmm. and then again like what's you know there was nothing but the faith of my family and friends and loved ones and their prayers that brought me out of that and saved me. So I think that was like my first real experience with it to where I understood the power of God. Um, And then the experience with being baptized in the Holy Spirit um, at a pretty young age. And so I went to a private Christian school up until fourth grade. And I think when I moved to a public school, and not that I'm saying like, you know, you can't go to public school or all public schools are horrible, but that's kind of like where the influence of my surroundings began Mm -hmm. to seep in. Um, I switched schools in the middle of the year. It was like right after Thanksgiving break. Uh, So, you know, that's that's tough on a a fourth grader. Did you switch because you like moved somewhere or did you just switch because your parents wanted you to switch? Yeah, we moved. uh, I probably was I could have went to the private school, um, but I was. I was probably like 35, 40 minutes away. Okay. Um, and the town that we moved to was, it was a really small town. Um, that's where I ended up spending the rest of my life until, you know, I joined the Marine Corps and went to college and all that good stuff. We'll get there. Um, but 
there was definitely, and this is something that, uh, you know, I still struggle with today to the point of, you know, I want people to like me and I want to please. Um, it's something that I really need to work on. And so I was kind of acting out in a sense of like anything that I could do to get people to, you know, kind of tur turn their attention towards me and notice me mm -hmm. being the new kid I was willing to do. Um, also, it, it's, uh, you know, it's the heart of Illinois and the town that I moved into was a very, very small town. There were, I was like one of maybe two or three black kids in the entire school. Wow. Um, and you know, I'm mixed. So my mom, my biological mom is white and that side of the family is white. And that's just, that's, you know, who I grew up with. That's what I knew. Um, it was for the longest time. I don't even really think that I realized that I was different. And then again, like moving to this school was like, the first taste of racism and the fact <laughs> that, you know, I am visually different from some of these other people mm -hmm. um, to the point of, you know, like parents were skeptical to let their kids hang out with me. And, uh, you know, I would be treated differently if I would spend the night at someone's house. Like, and it was, you know, a visible thing that I didn't really understand at the time, but definitely understand now. Mm -hmm. Um but so I would say, you know, right around fourth or fifth grade is kind of where I kind of started to slip back into, you know, the worldly trying to fit in. You know, I was listening to music I shouldn't have been listening to before I moved there. I, you know, I was only listening to Christian music whatsoever. Um, movies that I was starting to watch, you know, TV shows that I wasn't really allowed to watch at home or before then I was spending the night at people's houses and, you know, they were allowed to watch it and I wasn't going to be, you know, I didn't want to be like, oh, I, I'm not really allowed to watch that. Mm. Like, you know, you wanted, um, you wanted which to I wish in. I would have. Yeah. Right. And I was willing to do anything at all costs, obviously, you know, to do that. And, you know, what good is the world if you lose your soul? You mm -hmm. know what I mean? But again, yeah. that's hard for a kid to understand. Um, not that they can't, because they totally can. Um, but uh, so I was an athlete, you know, and sports was a very large part of my life. Up until fourth grade, I hadn't really um, I hadn't really played any sports except for football. I started playing football at about eight or nine years old. I think eight years old is the first year that I played. Um and so when I moved, my athleticism kind of immediately gave me that sort of in, mm -hmm. but it was kind of like that double-edged sword because I was immediately the best athlete at the school. And so yeah. you've got this group of kids who like, they were used to being the norm of the mm -hmm. good athletes. And I was like, you said you raised the bar them and everything. Yeah. yeah like mm -hmm. significantly. And so, well, like some people are like, Oh, this kid's awesome. We want him on our team. The kids who were up there and they were the best were like, where did he come from? Like, mm -hmm. I don't like this. And I remember one specifically, he's one of my, he, he throughout high school and grade school, he lived right around the corner from me. He ended up one of my closest friends, um, fantastic baseball player. He was drafted by the Boston Red Sox oh, uh, right out of high school. Um, so he, you know, he, obviously he was a great athlete, mm. but we, like, he could not stand me for the longest time. <laughs> um, but sports kind of gave me that avenue of, getting in with some of these other kids. And so that's like immediately where I funneled. And I loved sports. I loved football when I played it. Um, so like fifth grade, started playing basketball, uh, ran track, played basketball, played baseball all throughout um, junior highs, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Um, 
and again it was like i was good at everything that i did but football it was it, again it was just like more natural every yeah and everybody knew that it wasn't like mm-hmm. it wasn't just a good kid at football like it was it was a special talent at the sport mm-hmm. um and so i got to high school uh so going back a little bit eighth grade track um i was running at the state track event um the way that it kind of works, you know, the field events and the running events are kind of going on simultaneously. So I was in the final heat of the long jump. And the way that those heats kind of worked is you got ranked and then like due to your ranking is where your heat was, mm-hmm. but you did all your jumps in that one heat. So like every heat was a final in itself, essentially. So I was in the final heat and that happened to coincide with the prelims of the hundred meter dash. So I went directly from like jumping out of the sand and got into the starter blocks to run the hundred. Uh, I made it like 75 meters down the track and it like Mm. felt like my leg exploded. Um, So it was the end of the season though. This is, this is in May. And so like school, we just, we were getting ready to graduate eighth grade. You know, you had summer sports going on, but you know, in summer football workouts for high school, which was a big deal. And, um, so a lot was going on this summer and I kind of just ignored it. We didn't do anything about it. Didn't go to the doctor. Didn't see anything. I mean, we just, you know, we'd assume that it was a pulled hamstring. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I ended up, I was playing baseball and actually my best friend still today, we've been best friends since like fourth grade. He was playing first base and I hit a little slow ground ball to shortstop and I was trying to use my speed to beat out the throw, which at that age, you know, at basically any time I made contact, I could get on base as long as it mm-hmm. wasn't a pop fly. And his foot was like the back of his heel was above the bag of first base. So when I stepped through the bag, I kind of stepped on the back of his heel mm-hmm. and I felt that hamstring go again. And this time it was like, I, it was again, it was one of those, I knew something a little bit more serious was going on. Yeah. And so I limped back home across the street because we lived right across the street from the high school in the sports complex. And I, like I told my mom, I was like, we got to, like, something's, something's up with my leg. We got to go get it looked at. So we went. Uh, the doctor was like, eh, I can't really tell anything. You know, could be a muscle injury. Could be something else. You know, maybe we should do an MRI just to look. So they scheduled an MRI. And lo and behold, I had actually fractured my pelvis. Mm. So... Um, basically like your hamstring bone is attached to your hip and pelvis area and your pelvis is actually like hollow. So it's like a circle like this. And so that hamstring pulled so tight without tearing that it actually, it it literally just cracked the bone a little bit. Like Mm. it pulled it away and and it it separated it. So there's really nothing that we can do for this. Um, like it's a rest type of deal. Like that's it. You stay off of it for three months and it heals and that's it. So I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty devastated. I, I was going to have to miss football workouts. I could still do upper body stuff, but you know, like I'm a running back and most mm-hmm. of what we do is with our legs. And, yeah. um, so I made it through that summer and then, uh, it ended up kind of dipping into the very beginning of football season and, in Illinois, I know at least there's a rule that you have to practice like X amount of practices before you're allowed to like actually play in a game and it's, mm. you know, to condition your body and get used to the, the hitting. And, um, 
so the games counted towards a practice. It was like I only missed, I think, the first game of the season, and the second game of the season would have been like that Friday if we had practice. That would have been my last practice before I could play in a game. And this team in our conference, they were like the powerhouse football team. They always had been uh, the four years that I played high school football. Um, their varsity team went to state three of those four years. They won it two of those four years. So, like, that's just that school is known for football. And our freshman coaches were like, we can beat these guys with Alex. Like, we haven't <laughs> beat these guys in a really long time. And so my coach was like, hey, you know, this Friday's game is supposed to be your last practice, but like you're not really doing anything anyways. So we're going to go ahead and let you play. Mm -hmm. He said to kind of like counter it out. We're going to like, we won't start you, but you're going to come in on the second play of the game. And it was like one of those gray, like I knew it was wrong, but again, like I wanted to play like, mm -hmm. I, this is yeah. my, it, the past four years, like I'd been working to get to play high school football and this was my chance. Mm -hmm. And so it was, we got to game time, first play of the game, they, you know, they pulled me out, second play, they were like, go in, 44 blast, like, I'll, I'll, I remember the play call, I remember where we were at, I remember the smell in the air, like, I remember everything <laughs> distinctly, and so 44 blast, it basically is a halfback blast right up the middle behind our fullback, and I got like eight yards, and it was like a stalemate where I got like hit by the linebacker head on, and then a defensive lineman like had stood me up from behind. So I didn't get tackled, but the play was dead because my forward progress had stopped. Yeah. So the ref blew the whistle, and when he did that, I kind of, I kind of like, you know, stopped using my force and my muscles to kind of like let everyone else know, like, okay, this is the play's over. Well, when I did that, someone came flying in and they put their helmet directly on my ankle mm. and I fractured my ankle. And mm. it was like, it's like one of those things, like I still remember to this day, I'm like that, like, that's what I get. Like, that's, mm -hmm. I shouldn't have lied. I should have sat the game out like I was supposed to. Like, yeah. that is my punishment. Like, there's consequences for our sins. And <laughs> that was my consequence. <laughs> so I'm out, you know, that, that was it. I got to play one play in uh, fractured ankle. It was like, I was out for another, I think, seven weeks. Mm. And uh, I was in a, I was in a cast and then I was in a boot. And so I did end up, I got to play the last two games of the season. And again, you know, I had, I had two great games and we did everything by the book. Um, but again, it was still obvious that I was special. I mean, that year um, in Illinois, we kind of have three, like it's freshman football. And then our JV, we consider sophomore football. So it's like freshman, sophomore, and then varsity. Um, no freshman all year had got to dress up for a JV game. And the very last game of the season, which was my second game of the season, I got to dress up and play in the JV game. Nice. Um, so, you know, everything that year went on kind of standard. Nothing crazy <laughs> happened. Um, and then I started, uh, I started that next season as a sophomore. And it was... Um, like the first two games were a shamble. I don't, I could like, that's like a whole nother 20 minute story that I don't want to go into. Um, but I, like, I didn't think that I was even going to play varsity that year because of how, like I was the starting punt returner fumbled three punts in the first game. Mm. Special teams coach was like, you're never going to play varsity football oh, this year. Yeah. You're playing like Sky Moore. Go hang out. Yeah, dude. It was, <laughs> it was a terrible experience. And so we were playing a really bad team week three. 
and we put in a play. I'd practiced a little bit with the starters going into that week, and I just thought, you know, it was coincidental. And, you know, as we said earlier, nothing is coincidental. Mm -hmm. And um, so it was like in the middle of the first quarter, my coach was like, Alex, this is the play go in. And I was like, it was seriously, it was like the Friday night light scene where Waterboy, like, was, like, about to run on the field without his helmet. Like, that's legitimately <laughs> how it was. And uh, so I grab my helmet. I go in. There's a false start. The starting mm -hmm. running back, who's a senior, comes in. And I was like, I was this close. <laughs> and so I got my heads down, and I'm about to walk back to the bench. My coach like, don't go anywhere. You're going right back in. And uh, the very first carry of my varsity career was an 80-yard touchdown run. Wow. And... Um, that that very first game, I ended up I had like 256 yards, three touchdowns, and then I threw for a touchdown on a halfback pass. That's awesome. And like from there on, like that's kind of where my football career really took off. And uh, again, it was it, it there was I was humble in the beginning, and I never really was like the one that was out there, you know, declaring how good I was, mm -hmm. but there was definitely, it was never, it was always Alex. You know what I mean? There was, mm -hmm. It was never my talent from God. It was never my abilities because of the gifts that God had given me. It was always me, you know? Yeah. Um, and so this went on football, you know, became my life. I was going to, you know, camps every summer. I was, going to combines in the summer and then going into my senior year was the second time I probably really should have died. Um, we were at a seven on seven tournament and it was like one of those all day type events. And I was playing both sides of the ball and it was like about uh, probably the fourth or fifth game of the day. It's afternoon. We had, we only had two games left on the day. And before that second to last game, I like I just started getting really sick, and I was in the bathroom. I was throwing up. It was I like couldn't keep anything down. It was coming out both ends. I was miserable, and so I played that next game, and we had like a thirty minute break in between that game and our last game, and so we were sitting like on this like this the hill it was like a hill that dipped down into a bowl and that's where the fields that we were playing on were and so coach you know was like all right time to start warming up for this last game and I, so i like brought my heel up to my hip to stand up and like when i did that my muscle when i went to use my quad it started to cramp and i don't know if you've ever had a muscle cramp before but they're painful they're really like they're up there excruciating pain yeah and so I'm like half in panic mode and uh, my coach was like, you got to keep walking. You got to walk it off. And I'm like, okay, okay. So I'm trying to walk. And as I'm walking around, my other quad starts to cramp. Mm. So now both of my quads are completely cramped up. And I'm like, now like the panic is really starting to heighten. And so like, you got to keep walking. We got to keep walking. So I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So then my hamstring starts to cramp. So now <laughs> every muscle in between like my knee and my hip on my right leg is cramped and my left leg is so I, i'm at this point i'm like what do we do and they're like okay and, like everyone's panicking now they're like oh we we gotta we gotta get him inside we gotta get him cooled down we gotta do this we gotta get him something to eat when was the last time you ate I was like i haven't ate all day they're like we gotta get food in him and so then my left hamstring starts to cramp 
and muscles are just like piling up and starting to cramp. And it got to the point where every muscle from my waist down, my, my both hamstrings, both quads, my calves, the muscles in my feet were cramping. And I finally, there were like, well, what do we do? Like no one knew. And I was like, you have to take me to the hospital. And they were like, no, it, you're cramping. Like everybody, every athlete in the world has cramped at some point. Like you're just cramping. And they were like, let's get you to your, your mom's here. Let's get you into the car. She can drive you home. You'll figure it out from there. And I was like, listen to me. I can't get into the back of a car. Like you need to lay me down somehow and take me to the hospital now. And people were like, okay, like if he's saying these things, maybe, maybe we should listen to him. So at this point, like the, the muscles and the cartilage in between my ribs, like that help contract your lungs to breathe, like those muscles in my abs were starting to cramp mm. and it got so bad Trey that I was, so I'm in the back of this truck. It was one of my coach's trucks. Uh, another coach was in the bed of the truck sitting on the wheel well with me. And I remember the entire ride to the hospital. I was holding his hand and I was like focused on his face. And I just kept repeatedly asking him if I was going to die. I was like, coach, am I, am I dying? Like, am I, am I dying or am I going to die right now? Like, that's how bad it was. Mm -hmm. And I, he's just like, no, no, you, you know, you're good. You're good. And I was like, coach, this is like, I'm, I'm going to die. This is, I'm, this is it. I'm going to die. And so they hit the, again, we hit the emergency room. Uh, they put me on a stretcher and took me inside and they immediately put an IV in both of my arms um, the cramping started to come down after that. And then they gave me like a vial of pure potassium, which is one of the nastiest things I've ever <laughs> drank in my entire life. Oh, I I'm can't sure. explain it. It was like drinking metal. And if you can mm. imagine that. And so the doctor came in. So my legs, I, I, my legs were cramped for like over an hour. And so like the fatigue from that, it was mm. like, I hadn't used my legs and it was like the movies where like someone's in a coma and they wake up and like, they can't <laughs> use their legs. Like that's kind of how it was. And the doctor was like, yeah, your, your potassium level was like almost unreadable. And he was like, I can tell you if you would have got in that car and tried to drive home, you'd have died in the backseat of that car. Like you, your heart would have, you'd had a heart attack and you would have died like 100%. Mm. So I was like, wow, like, Peace. So that was now attempt number two that I really probably should have died. I think if I wouldn't have told them, hey, I'm going to die, that probably would have been the end for me. Um, so at this point, you know, I'm I'm full fledged. I'm doing everything for me. Like um, I'm still, you know, it was kind of like, you know, my my house was the if you're living in my house, you're following my rules and you're going to church on Sundays. But you know, I was going out and I was drinking and I was smoking and I was doing all these things behind my mom's back. And, you know, I was sitting in church on Sunday mornings with terrible hangovers because I was forced to be there and I didn't want to be there. Um, and I was just doing nothing how I should be doing it. I mean, I was fully living for the world and the things of it and the gratification of it. And, you know, at the time I thought, well, what else am I supposed to do? Like, I'm happy. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm great at football. I like everything is going for me. My school's great. I've got friends. I've got a girlfriend. Like, what? I'm, I'm fine. This is, mm -hmm. what is everything you've else even about? Like, this is, this is what we're supposed to do. And so, I ended up. I came to the point where I needed to make a decision on college, 
and this is another thing that I like. I really heavily pray today because and it it's not like I hadn't like rebuked God or if somebody would have asked me at this time, like, what are your thoughts on God? Like, are you a Christian? I would have absolutely been like, oh, yeah, like God's real. I'm a Christian. I go to church like, you know, I sing the worship songs like absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wasn't living accordingly. Yeah. And so when I'm going to make my decision for colleges, I didn't actually have a whole lot of options. Um, I didn't really do, I didn't like go the recruiting route properly. I was going on visits and things like that, but I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't send film to schools and I wasn't actively engaging schools. I didn't even realize you were supposed to do those things. So I really only had a couple options. And so in my mind, it was like, well, okay, Eastern Illinois is my option and that must be God's plan for me because it's there. Like Mm. I have the option to go there. And for the longest time, like I kind of lived like by that, like if, if the opportunity's there, well, like, why would God give me this opportunity if that wasn't what he wanted me to do? Mm -hmm. And it was like, without that realization that like he puts opportunities in front of us, like we still have to make the decisions based in line. Right. And if we're not, living in one accord with him, if our relationship with him isn't directly connected and it's not in depth to where I'm in line with him, I can very easily make the wrong decision. And just because it's available, doesn't make it the right, like because it's an option and I can have it doesn't make it the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And so I went to Eastern Illinois and my very, so we were there for, you know, we have, you've got your hell week, and in college, it's two weeks, and it's, I mean, it's from 6 a.m. until 10.30 p.m. Like, they literally hand you a schedule day one, mm-hmm. and it's not like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. It's like a, the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth. Through those two weeks, here's your schedule for that entire time. This is where you're going to be. This is what you're going to be doing. There's no free time. It's not, like, none of that. It's it's set in stone. Mm-hmm. So it's strict. And it's, you know, especially for the upperclassmen, like they've obviously been there. Not a whole lot of freshmen are invited to summer camp. I think I was like one of maybe three or four true freshmen who had got the opportunity to even come to this camp. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, it was kind of culture shock. I think, you know, you kind of expect what it would be like to play Division One college football, but that's not really what you expect. I think I honestly I would compare it a lot to uh, like boot camp in the Marine Corps. Like you get told what it's going to be like, and mm. here's what to expect. But until you're experiencing it, it's like there's no way to really fully grasp and understand. Yeah. And so I made it through camp, and that very the last day of camp is the first day students are on campus. And so you have this big scrimmage game and all the students come to the scrimmage game. And then it's like, you know, it's like a huge party night. Like, that's what the kids do. And so obviously, you know, I got to fit in with the teammates. I got to make friends. So I went out and I partied and I got like blackout drunk, belligerently. Don't remember 90% of the night whatsoever. And the next morning, uh, a couple kids were like, dude, what in the world happened last night? I was like, what? I, I don't know. I, we 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 got drunk. I don't What do you mean? And they're like, you came back with campus police last night. And I was like, what? And they were like, yeah, they like literally walked you into the dorm and into your room. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, 
that's not good. And I was like, is that like, was that it? <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> and I, yeah. And they're like, I, well, I don't know. That's why we're asking you. So I was like, well, I, I guess I'm good. Cause I don't, I mean, I don't know. Like, why would they do that if I was in trouble? And so like one thing that they preach adamantly at you in this camp is if you mess up, if you get in trouble, if you, if there's anything wrong, the first thing that you do is you call your coach and you say, coach, this just happened. This is the situation. Here's what's going on. And so I got to the football facility that afternoon for practice and my coach was like, comes and grabs me before meetings. And he's like, you got something to tell me? And I was like, no. And he's like, you sure about that? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you remember us, you know, saying that if anything happened, you better tell us. We better not find out any other way. I was like, yeah. And he was like, so are you sure? And I was like, like, yeah, like, I promise you, I don't have anything to what it, what it, you need to tell me what you're getting at at this point. He was like, so you didn't get an underage drinking citation last night? And I was like, not that I know of, to be honest with you. And he was like, you need to go back to your dorm right now. Check your mailbox. I was like, I didn't know I had a mailbox. He's like, it's in the student center in the middle of the dorm. Go right now. So I went, sure enough, in my mailbox was a little slip that was a citation from campus police. Mm. So I was, I'm needless to say, in a lot of trouble, you know. We <laughs> literally didn't even step foot into a class building. I hadn't taken a single class yet and I had already gotten in trouble. And so obviously, you know, that looks bad on my character and it was bad on my character. Um, It looks bad to the coaches. Uh, It was just the whole situation was not good. And so what happened is they put me on a disciplinary probation and I had to take like a, it was like a drug and alcohol class that semester. So I was punished at football, you know, accordingly. I, I, They had, like, different things that you had to do for different levels of punishment. So I went through that. Um, and I basically was like, okay, I'm going to, like, I'm keeping my nose out of trouble. I'm not doing anything. And that's kind of how I lived for that next semester. And then second semester, I got switched roommates. Um, mm-hmm. The roommate that I had, him and I didn't really get along. He was a defensive lineman. Um, we had nothing in common and, uh, we just, we kind of, it was one of those, like, you know, we just kind of clashed. And so one of my buddy's roommates was friends with him and they were like, Hey, we're willing to switch. And so I was rooming with a friend. I still really stayed out of trouble. You know, like I spent my, my weekends, either I would go home or I would play video games with friends back home. Um, I really wasn't doing anything crazy. And it was, we had like two weeks left before school was out. It was um, end of second semester. I had stayed out of trouble. And my roommate was transferring to another school the next year. And he was like, dude, it's my birthday. You have to go out with me tonight. And I was like, man, I can't do it, dude. And I was like, I got, we got two weeks left, man. Mm-hmm. I was like, I got a finals paper to finish up writing. It's my last paper. Like my grades are back up because my grades failed first semester. I was like, my grades are in a good spot. I can't fail this paper. I, I can't get into trouble. I can't, I just can't, dude. And he was like, you know, it was a peer pressure. He was like, oh, I won't be here next year. He's like, you know, who knows when you'll see me again. It's my birthday. I was like, dude, I can't, man. And he's like, dude, you have to come out with me. And I was like, all right. And so I gave him money. I said, here, you know, go get the liquor, whatever you want to do. I said, I'll finish my paper. When you come back, I'll go have a drink or two with you. And so... 
he got back and we went upstairs to the third floor of our dorm. And this is this leads to the third time I I honestly I think I probably did die. This um, the, like this next sense. part coming up is like a movie scene, guys. It's like it's like a Hollywood movie. It's almost okay. unbelievable. Yeah, mm. it truly like nothing short of a mm. genuine miracle. Yeah. Um and so we went upstairs and again I got blackout drunk because that's just that's what I did. I don't like I didn't really have a filter. Um like when I drank, I was drinking. And so the rest of this story is completely secondhand from stories of teammates that I was with, of random people who I didn't even know. Like, this is their account because I, again, I was blackout and I don't remember it. Um, the way that our dorm was set up is you kind of, you open these two front doors and it was like a small, like four by four platform that led either directly upstairs or directly downstairs. It wasn't like an actual floor. And my dorm room was on that bottom floor. We were all the way upstairs on the top floor. And so, you know, I was hooting and hollering, running around the halls, being, you know, a drunk 18-year-old. And I had jumped up on the banister to, like, slide down to that first platform floor. And it was probably from the very top of the railing. It was probably about 15 to 20 feet. And when I jumped up onto the railing to slide over it, I literally just jumped over the side of the railing and I went backwards and landed directly on the back of my head mm -hmm. to the point where like people on the top floor from the ends of the halls were coming out to see what the noise was. They, if people were said it was like a gunshot went off. That's how loud it was. Oh. It was basically my skull smashing into the concrete mm -hmm. below. And so people that saw me actually jump were like looking over and again it was like a sheer panic and the first person got to me and was like this dude's not breathing he's not moving like what do we do someone was like ah like, obviously you have to call 911 and in the room directly next to mine i was on the second door on the left the, the first door on the left it was one upperclassman the dorms were split by uh, the dorm that i was in you had to either be a um, a senior who was getting ready to graduate that year or an athlete. And those were the only people in those dorms. So it was a senior and he wasn't in any sports, but he was involved with the fellowship of Christian athletes. And so like the only interactions you ever really had with him, he was, you know, inviting you to a Bible study or inviting you to an FCA event. And every time it was like, eh, like, nah, man, like, nah, busy that night. Sorry. You know, like got better things to do. And he still didn't, like, he was always like, ah, oh, they asked me up, I got you. He'd hand you a pamphlet or he'd hand you a Bible verse and be like, I'm praying for you, man, every time you encountered him. And so he comes out of his dorm room. Like, we didn't even hardly ever see him on the weekends. And they said that he kneeled down next to me and he put his hand directly on my chest and he closed his eyes and he said, dear Lord, restore breath back into this young man's life. And they said, like, the, as soon as he finished the last syllable of E, I literally took a deep breath and, like, shot up like I was spring-loaded. They said, I jumped up from that. I sprinted down to my room. I went into the room, and I closed the door. Wow. And everyone was, like, <laughs> speechless to the point, like, the first time that I heard the story, like, someone was passing me in the hall, and they were, like, gawking at me, and I was, like, like, what's your deal? Like, do you have an issue with me? And they're like, you don't have any idea, do you? And I was like, 
obviously not. Like, I have no idea why you're looking at me like this. And it would be, it was like a, let me tell you type of deal. And, uh, who knows, like, uh, Trey, honestly, if, if he wasn't there that night and again, if his faith hadn't been there and he hadn't laid his hands on me and believed that, you know, he could restore me through the strength of God, like, mm-hmm. um, that maybe that's the, it. maybe that's where this story ends, you know, yeah. um, again, God is, he's deliberate. It's mm-hmm. nothing is by coincidence. Yeah. Um, and you think that I would learn, like, you think like this would be the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to get back right with God on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. Like this is this, we've, we've pushed the, the envelope enough. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's get something going. Um, but it wasn't, it, again, it wasn't, it was like the type of deal that didn't even really phase me. Like it was just another thing. And so at this point I, uh, Eastern Illinois basically is like, you broke your disciplinary probation. Um, Again, playing football really it, it kind of showed me the the uh, what we had going for us mm-hmm. because any other student it would have been like immediate dismissal. They'd have been like, "Pack your dorm room up, hit the road, that's it." Well, they for me were like, "Well, we'll put you on a hearing. Uh, you can go in front of us, give us your 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 statement, let us know." I basically, so I lied, but I didn't completely lie. You know, I kind of mm-hmm. felt better about it, but I did. I was like, you know, I, I, I had drank a little bit, but I told them I wasn't drunk. I told them, you know, I'd slid down that banister a hundred times. And so they basically were like, well, here's the issue. Uh, you know, we do believe that you're telling us the truth. You know, you told us that you drank, which does break your disciplinary probation, uh, so they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to give you 40 hours of community service to be served by the time next year starts. And you're going to have a full year of disciplinary probation your sophomore year. And I was like, okay, that like both of those things are completely fair. And I was like, so, but I'm not like being suspended. I'm not getting expelled. They're like, no, you'll be have probation again for a year. And you've got to do this community service over the summer. And so I did a community service and I had full intentions of going back to Eastern Illinois. And my coach called me throughout the summer a couple of times. And he was like, you know, you, you were slated to be the starter next year. Like that's not an opportunity you want to give up, but they also were like, we can't give you a scholarship. Like how can we give you a scholarship and not scholarship somebody else? And then you come in in the second week of practice, you do the same thing you've already done twice. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like it was one incident. Like, you've been, we've been through this twice with you now. And the first time it was explained how severe it was. And then you still went and got in trouble again. Yeah. Like, we just can't put money into an athlete like that. Like, you're more than welcome. You've got your spot on the team. You're still going to start. And by all means, if you stay out of trouble for a year and get your life back together, like, we can re scholarship you. That's no problem. And so, like, after that conversation, it was kind of like a pride thing mixed with, um, like, well, why would I go and pay you to let me play football again where I could, you know, I could do anything else. I could mm-hmm. just stop and train for a couple of years and go to the combine. Like, why would I do that? So I ended up not going back to Eastern Illinois. And uh, so I played semi-pro football back home in Illinois for a year and I worked at Sam's Club, and I was just kind of doing my own thing. Um, I was still, I was smoking weed every day. Um, I was, again, just not hanging out with the people who were influencing my life properly. And 
So I got into some pretty serious things with them to the point where they would do, they were doing drugs on the weekends and it wasn't like it was every weekend, not that it ever makes it better in any sense. Um, but it was like they would randomly do some harder drugs and I would like show interest kind of like, you know, I would be asking them questions about it and like, well, what does it do and how does it feel? You know, things like that until finally they were like, okay, we think you're ready to do acid with us. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think so too. And this, again, uh, definitely probably should have died. Um, mm. And again, uh, there's there are a couple things that always go hand in hand with each one of these stories so far. And that's decisions being made, except for when I got sick, but it's decisions being made and it's prayer. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so I did too much of the acid in the first place, and I ended up passing out and having a seizure. Um, and to where I woke up, they were like, are you good? Are you good? And, you know, you just you, you passed out. You had a seizure. Like, are you good? And again, everybody's on drugs. There's drugs in the house. Like, no one's going to call the ambulance for this person. Mm-hmm. They would have as soon just let me die and mm-hmm. dealt with it the next morning. And I remember, uh, I, I, when I came to, cause this, this last, you know, it's like 14 hours that you feel the effects of this drug. And when I kind of woke up from that whole time of being awake and going through that, uh, I had a text and I, you know, again, I knew where my family was at. I knew their thoughts. I knew, you know, their relationships with God, um, and it was something that, you know, they vocalized, you know, my mom would all the time, you know, be like, I'm praying for you. And anytime I hung up the phone with her, you know, um, but for her to text me in the middle of the night, uh, I, I can, I'm assuming it was really close to when I passed out. Um, because I woke up to a text from her, it was in the middle of the night and she, she just said, Hey, I felt the need to tell you that I was woke up and I'm, I, I'm praying for you right now. And, uh, again, like that probably saved my life, like Mm -hmm. her being woke up by the Holy spirit and then her obeying and praying for me probably is what saved my life. And, uh, that shook me up and it, it, it woke me up in a sense of like, even me living in the world, Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, there's gotta be a line at some point. And I think I've probably just crossed it maybe. And I need to peel back. And one of the guys, especially that I was with was like, Oh, you know, you're one of us and you don't, you don't like it, it happens. And I was like, nah, man, like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want, I'm, I'm, I'm Alex. Like I am, I'm who I am. Mm-hmm. And even in a non-religious and a non, like God has set me apart from everything and everyone else. And he's designed me perfectly in his image, distinct to who I am and his purpose for me in the kingdom. It was still like a no. I'm my own person. Mm-hmm. Didn't even like like it. It like convicted me without even having that relationship with God. The things that he was just putting in my yeah. ears. And so I'm kind of was like, I do like I I got to change some things. Like I can't be living life how I'm living it right now and think that I'm gonna make it to 25. And so my buddy that I spoke about earlier, um, he went to the national guard 
and he had just finished up his training in Fort Benning, Georgia. And his mom invited me to go with her to graduation. So we, I went to graduation and I like, I fell in love with everything about the military, like the, the uniforms, the, the unification, the cadences, like, I was just like, this is incredible. I want it. And so a couple months later, I walked into the recruiter's office, signed up for the Marine Corps, was like, look, I got to get out of my current situation. I have no plan for the rest of my life. Like football is on the back burner right now. I've got like another four years before I can even do anything professionally. Like it would have to be to college. And I tried that once and I was like, get me out of here. Like, get me out of this place. I want to go. And uh, it happened really fast. It was like, <laughs> he. I went and did my ASVAB like a week or two after that. And then um, the job that I originally signed up for, he was like, you know, I had like two months and a week went by and he called me and he was like, hey, man, I've got a boot camp spot for you, but it's next week and you have to change jobs. I was like, done and done. Get me out of here. Like, I'll do it. <laughs> and so I said my goodbyes, told my family, hey, you know, got everything in order, shipped off to boot camp. Um, and it was like kind of like a fresh start. And it was there were even like we were allowed to go to church services on Sunday mornings and definitely like. God started to, you know, stir me up a little bit. And again, it, it probably had a lot to do with the state of mind that you're in because boot camp is a completely different beast. Mm -hmm. um, it, I mean, it, it, it literally takes who you are away from you. Yeah. Um, it puts you in a, in a spot mentally that not a lot of people see or experience or go through. Um, and so, you know, getting back to what you know is the truth and hearing that truth on Sunday mornings, it definitely draws you closer to God more quickly because you have nothing at this point. Like you don't yeah. even have yourself. Um, so it, I definitely had some moments in boot camp where I was like, I remember like, I know you're there. I, I, I know who you are, but like, am I quite ready to give up everything that i have to give up right now mm -hmm. like yeah I, I still you know i like who i am and i like talking how i want to talk and watching what i want to watch and listening to what i want to listen to and uh so I, I finished up boot camp uh you know went through the same same you know i to i don't know that i've ever really like openly been like yeah i was an alcoholic and i don't think that i was like a full-fledged alcoholic but i was definitely had a piece of alcoholism like it was like mm -hmm. every weekend i was drunk from like the time we got off friday until like saturday or sunday afternoon and um there were times where i would drink during the week but it wasn't that was rare um but when i drank it wasn't like i'm gonna have you know a couple of drinks it was i'm gonna drink until i can't drink anymore and i pass out mm -hmm. and so i was doing that uh, I ended up going through some things in Japan. Um, I, I had some, I was having really bad night terrors to where it was affecting my roommate's sleep. I was getting up and walking around our room in the middle of the night, uh -huh. um, like sleepwalking. And so they sent me back home to America, to Jacksonville. And uh, from there, I ended up eventually being medically separated. Uh, but before that happened, again, it was, uh, this is kind of like the point where I was like 
I was good when I was in the Marine Corps, you know, like I was really good at what I did. Um, I graduated boot camp, my company Honorman, um, uh, which, you know, is like the top recruit out of hundreds and hundreds of recruits. Mm. And um, so I was proud again of like, you know, it took me kind of back to football. Like I was as good as something as I was at football and this was it. And now they're telling me I can't do this. And so it kind of was like full fledged back to square one where I was just completely lost again. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one night, uh, it was something small happened at work. Uh, it was like, I had to, I had to go like change signs on a Friday night that it was like outside of work hours and I was supposed to be off. And I was like, there's six people in my, my, that fall under our duties. Like, why am I the one that's having to go back and do it? You know, pity mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I'll tell you what, like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to go drink. So I did. I drove and I went and I got blackout drunk again because that's just what I did. And I drove back on base, completely blackout drunk. Um, And when I was on base, there was a corner and it was like a hairpin turn corner, very, very tight. And I came flying around that corner and I hit a, hit the curb on the inside and I, I overcorrected mm. and I ended up jumping into someone's yard wow. and I smashed a tree literally head on doing about 45 mm. miles an hour. And, uh, I kind of, I kind of woke up and I heard if you've ever been in a car accident where your airbag is deployed, the, the horn is constantly sounding. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, like kind of woke up to that sound ringing in my ears and I realized what just happened. And, um, like I looked in my cup holder and there was like an open bottle of liquor still sitting in the cup holder. Mm. And I kind of like the weight of what had just happened. I was like, I'm in trouble, like yeah. in a lot of trouble. So I like grabbed that and I chucked it as far as I could and into like the woods or wherever the closest place that I could find to get rid of it. And I was like, what what do I do? Do I, do I like, do I just leave here and then like hide out and tell them I don't, don't know where my car's been, you know, like all these scenarios are running through my head. And I was like, I, like, I have to just own up to this. And so I sat, I got back into the car and sure enough, like I heard someone like knocking on the door and I was like, yeah. And they're like, are you good in there? And I was like, yep. And it was the military police officers. And they, they, they got me out. And I just, I immediately was like, I'm really drunk. And they're like, oh. what? And I was like, I'm really, really drunk. Like, that's what, that's what's happened here. And they're like, well, you just made our jobs are really easy. And so, um, I ended up, they, I, I obviously got into a pretty significant amount of trouble. And that same weekend, I got my orders that I was being separated and I was supposed to, I was due to be separated that very next weekend. And so I ended up, I, they, uh, you go in front, you get, um, it's called, what is it called? I think it's called, um, NJP non-judicial punishment. And, uh, you kind of go in front of the master sergeant of your division and they, you know, hand down discipline to you. And so they were like, look, well, this is a tough spot. And they were like, because you just got your orders to get out next weekend. They were like, we could very easily clear those orders and we could put you in jail 
and we could dishonorably discharge you. Like mm-hmm. that's essentially what we should do. Yeah. And if you get dishonorably discharged from the military, it's like, it's like you might as well be a felon. Like mm-hmm. you can't, it's, it's the same as a felony mark on your record. Like it's hard to get work. It's, it's hard to do anything. And so I was like, I, I understand. And like, at the end of the day, I'm not even going to stand up here and argue with you. Like I made the decisions that I made and like, I'm going to suffer the consequences of it. And they were like, well, look, you know, and they brought up things that I'd done in the past. They were like, you know, you, you haven't been in trouble since you've been in the Marine Corps. You know, you did this and you did this and you did this and your unit speaks incredibly highly of you. Um, you know, they said, this is just one of those, you made it, you made a mistake. And they were like, so we're not going to ruin your life because of that. So they said, we're going to demote you and we're going to dock your pay for the next week. And you're going to be put on um, barrack suspension, which basically like you go straight to work and then go straight back to your barracks room. It's kind of mm-hmm. like military house arrest. Yeah. And then you have to like in the evenings from like five o'clock until 10 o'clock, you have to go to the duty hut, which is like probably a quarter of a mile away and check in with the duty to say like, I'm in my camis. I've been in my room. Um, they said, we're going to, we're going to do that for a week and you're going to get out Saturday. They're like, don't mess up. Like (laughs) one week, like don't miss a check-in. Don't get caught somewhere. You're not supposed to be like you will get, you'll get, unceremoniously separated and you don't want to do that. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay. Um, so again, like that was a complete blessing from God. Cause yeah. I mean, they could have, they very easily kept me in and they could have taken everything and then they could have, you know, dishonorably discharged me. And, uh, so I got out and, uh, my mom had now moved to Hickory, which is, you know, we're getting to the back half of the story now. Um, and I, like, I still, I was still, you know, at this point, I think I was 22 or 23, maybe. So I was really young still. Um, I still had my passion for football. I'd been training for football all while I was in the Marine Corps. I was still in great shape. And um, I had spoken to, like, NC State. I'd spoken to a couple schools about the GI Bill. And I was like, look, I don't even need a football scholarship. Like, I'll have my military scholarship. I just want to play ball. And I'm like, yeah, come on. Like, you mm-hmm. kidding us? Like, we'll take that. And uh, so my mom was like, hey, this town that I live in has a small Division II school. And they have a football team, but their their football team is really good. This was the year that they won the national championship or went to the national championship. So she was like, they, you know, they were just in a championship game. So I looked into it and I was like, okay, yeah. So I came back here that summer. I think I got out in like April and, uh, you know, I, I didn't just moved here, got settled April, May, June, July. And then August came and LR was starting camp and I kind of had been in touch with them a couple times. Like I'd emailed back and forth. I think I spoke to one of the coaches on the phones a couple times and um, I'd never like really got where I needed to go. And so the church that I started attending when I was here, my mom was like, you got to get involved with a church. And they had like this young adult group and a couple of the football players from LR were in this young adult group. And so they were like, Hey, we start like, you're interested. Like, aren't you trying to like talk to the coaches and get on the team? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, well, camp starts tomorrow. And I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. And so every college has a point in camp where they have like open tryouts. Mm. So I was like, 
you know, I'm, I'll go to the open tryout. Like, I'm confident there's no way I'm not going to make a Division two football team. Yeah. And uh, so I went to that practice the very first night that they had practice of camp. And I was waiting to see the coach who I'd spoken to. I saw his picture online. And I was like, hey, Coach Brock. And he was like, do I know you? And I was like, Alex Harrington, we spoke. I just got out of the Marine Corps a couple months ago. You know, I played Division One at Eastern Illinois. I'm super interested just to see what I need to do. And he's like, yeah, come come with me right now. And so he, like, took me directly into the football offices. And we sat down and we talked. And he said, okay, I have to do a couple of things. And he said, can you be here tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock? And I was like, yes. And he said, okay, be here at 8. You're going to run through a physical. We're going to get your weight. And then you're going to start practice with us tomorrow morning. And I was like, oh, are you serious? And so, like, finally, I'm like, okay, things are, all right, things are starting mm. to look back up. Like, things are starting to get back where they were. But, again, I'm still, you know, I'm still smoking. I'm still drinking pretty heavily at this point to where, like, it became an issue at LR. Like, I was going to practices hungover. And, obviously, like, you can't perform to how you need to perform playing any level of college sports if you're drinking a bunch of booze the night before. And, uh... So I kept going on and I won't get into what happened at LR. Cause again, that's a whole nother like 25, 30 minute story about what happened there. Um, but I played that first, that season there and I loved it. I, you know, I enjoyed the teammates. I enjoyed the coaches. Um, I was, I did great in school. I think I had like a 3.3 or a 3.4 GPA my, my first year there. Um, like everything was going well, uh, but something happened with like how the GI bill works. And I, they basically were like, you have to make up for the money that it didn't pay for. And it didn't pay for like $16,000. And I was like, Oh, obviously you can't just pay you $16,000. Uh, so at that time I left LR and I started working at Best Buy and, when I was Best Buy, that's where I met my now wife, uh, Chantel, and uh, she, when it, whenever we first started talking, she was actually dating someone else at the time, um, but I hadn't, at this point, I hadn't really been involved in or with or out of church in a while, and uh, she was, she invited me, um, our church had a revival night, and she invited me to come to this revival night. And again, like at that point, you know, I would do anything to impress a pretty girl, you know, like, okay, like it's church. I've, I've done this my whole life. I can absolutely go sit through a church service for a couple hours if it's going to impress this pretty girl. So um, I went and it was like one of those, like, it's kind of how I lived uh, in church, even like up until like the past year or so. And so I like, I showed like, I tie, like I had it Googled on my phone how long it would take to get there. And I arrived like exactly at when the service was supposed to be starting and i kind of snuck in like as the lights dimmed and sat in the back and it was like one of those again you know it goes right back to like nothing that god does is coincidental mm. like it's not by chance it's not an accident it's deliberate and like i was completely touched by the sermon that night and then they um they had an altar call 
and I responded to the altar call and I remember being at the altar and it was like completely overcome by the Holy Spirit. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm speaking in tongues. I'm like, can barely hold myself. I'm literally weeping harder than I've ever cried in my entire life. Um, I get back in the car and I'm still like the Holy Spirit is still pouring out of me. Um, I called my mom and I'm like, I can't even drive home because I can't stop crying. And she was like, pull over if you need to. And so I finally, I, I get back to the apartment that I was living at with my mom and like, I burst through the front door and I'm still weeping and she's crying. And, um, that was kind of like when I kind of turned a little bit, like it was one degree back towards where I needed to be. Um, but I was still very much, you know, I was drinking all the time. I was still smoking. I was doing whatever I wanted to do. Um, and it was like little by little, God would do something and it would kind of draw me a little bit closer back mm. to him. And my tablet's getting low. Um, and so it was probably, I think like the, like when the, the transformation, like really fully kind of started to hit, it was, it's interesting enough because it was actually on Super Bowl night. Uh, we had Isaiah Saldivar came to our church on suit, like mm -hmm. on Super Bowl Sunday. And again, it's like, I'm still, um, Chantel and I are married now at this point. Um, this was, man, maybe two or three Super Bowls ago. I think, I think it was three Super Bowls ago. So it would have been three years ago. Mm -hmm. And my mom, the week of was like, Hey, uh, you know, I know you haven't been to church in a while. I was working on Sunday mornings, and that was kind of like my excuse not to go to church. Like, well, I can't go to church because I work every Sunday morning. And she was like, but we have this guest speaker Sunday night, and I really think that I think you should come. And I kind of like brush it off, and I was like, wait, like this this coming Sunday? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, you mean like Super Bowl Sunday? <laughs> and she was like, well, yeah. And I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll be there. I'm like, let's get, get real. Like I'm not going to miss the Super Bowl. And she was like, well, I, I, like, I, I just, I feel like you need to be there. And I was like, not going to happen. Like, stop asking. It's not going to happen. I'm it's the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't think about it anymore. Like it was, that's how the thought was in my mind. Like it was gone. And so she comes into my room. Uh, actually, this office that I'm in now used to be like a, like my video game room. Mm. And I would hold myself in here. Like I would not come out and spend hours and hours and hours. She comes in here. I had like pregame stuff on. I was playing video games. And she was like, are you coming? And I was like, she was like, are you coming? And I still like, like just looked at her. I was like, mm. like, wouldn't even make eye contact with her. And uh, she's like, well, I'm going to, one more time, like, I really just think you should come. And, like, I could hear, like, the kind of hurt in her voice that I was ignoring her completely. Mm. And uh, so she walked out, and, like, Trey, I can tell you without a doubt in my mind, once again, like, the Holy Spirit moved into this house, and he picked me up out of the chair. Because, wow. it, like, to the point, like, I got up out of the my recliner, and I was like, what? are you doing bro like well well are like why are you moving what are you, like are you really gonna go mm -hmm. get in the car and go with them like th you're not really gonna do this and so like i went and i, I kind of threw a pair of sweatpants on and i was like as committed to being not committed to going as mm -hmm. i could be yeah. with still going 
And so I was like, and my, all these thoughts are going through my mind. And I was like, okay, like I'm going to get my phone out and I'm just going to be watching the stat cast on my phone and I'm going to put the volume down and like, I'm going to pay attention to my phone. Like I'll stick it to him. Like, fine, I'll go, but I'm going to be paying mm-hmm. attention to the game and not giving any attention to what's going on. Yeah. Like, are you glad that I came? Like that's like, that was mm-hmm. how I was wanting to be at the end of it. Like, I yeah. don't really hope you're Trying glad that I came. Something. Cause yeah. yes, yes. Like, cause now I've come and now you've just made me miss the football game. Like, I really <laughs> hope it was worth it to you. And uh, so, like, you know, I've, I've got this this mad face on, and I get in the car, and I, like, have my forehead pushed up against the window, and, <laughs> like, I'm playing out on my phone, and we pull into the parking lot, and we go inside, and it was, like, the second that we walked through the sanctuary doors, it was just, like, something had completely covered me and took everything that i had inside and it was like my guts were just emptied like i had just been completely gut punched and it was like a like I, like it was like i took a deep breath and was like what in the world like and again like my whole life again i've, I've been holy spirit filled like i've been around church mm. and i have never felt the feeling that i felt when i walked in that sanctuary wow. and it was like i immediately went to a place of worship it was like there was no the football game left my mind i think i might have even ended up turning my phone off mm-hmm. and it was like in a like an immediate tray it was like everything had just been brought back full circle and it was like i was immediately in a heart and in a place of worship and uh so we went through worship service and uh at one point like i uh, chantal was sitting down worshiping and i like grabbed her arm and i picked her up and i hugged her and I remember both of us were just crying and I was just like, I'm sorry. Like everything that I've done, everything that I've said to you, I said some horrible, like things that I, like, I can't even imagine saying to, you know, somebody in battle as they were trying to kill me. Like mm-hmm. I had said things that bad to my wife out of anger and out of a place of darkness. And, you know, I, I, I just remember continually apologizing to her and, you know, telling her, you know, I, I, this, this, it'll stop. Like I, I, I'm awake now, you know, like I'm, I'm, my eyes have been open. My ears have been open. Mm-hmm. I'm awake. And, um, it still wasn't even like, it was, that's when it was like the dial had really turned. Like we're back now to like 125 degrees, but I still wasn't like quite ready to commit. Like yeah. I still, I had my ways and I still, I, I, there was like that last little bit of mm. me that was clinging on to the world and the ways of it. But like 90%, 85, 80% of me was like, it can't be both ways. Like yeah. it, it's, it's gotta be one way. And so little by little. And then, um, it was probably last June, I want to say. We're coming up like, like right at a year, um, May or June. And I, I, I hit this spot where um, I was alone. I was in my own prayer time, and I was like, God, I'm done. Like, I, I, I've ran for 29 years. I ran for 30 years. I've, I've, I've known who you are. You've spoken to me. I've heard mm-hmm. your voice. I know that you have a plan for me, you know, I know that you have things for my life. I know that I'm not the man who you created me to be, and I'm not doing the things that you created me to do right now. 
and this is it. Like I surrender 100%. Where like you tell me where to go, you tell me what to do, you tell me what to say. I'm yours. It ends today. Like the old me that I was, I'm mm. done holding on. I'm done clinging on. And again, it was like it. It was like I could feel that Alex being completely torn away yeah. and cast away. Like that was gone. That was done. That's a not who I was. I didn't have to think about that person. I didn't have to be controlled by what that guy had done because mm-hmm. it was paid for. And like, it was at that moment when I could feel that. And I really knew that. And so the first thing that, um, like he really, like, it was like, you need to, you need to serve. Like you need to get with your church, find mm-hmm. a team to serve on. Um, I did that, and then the youth pastor at our church, Pastor Austin, he he ended up texting me like, not even maybe two to four weeks after that, and he was like, "Hey, uh, you know, uh, we've been praying about our annual youth retreat, and um, some leaders that we were wanting to take with us, and we were pretty set on them, but like, there's been this impression on from God that you know we 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 really think that you should." go on this trip with us we'd love for you to be there and be a part of it and i was like well like god you know i was horrified to do that and i still was in like that shell of i don't really know anybody and nobody really knows me and like what if i'm rejected or what if i do something wrong or say something wrong and i, I just say kinda... i will say because you were our team leader and yeah. that's why i was like who's this <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's this yeah and i mean like and I've I never seen that you before. Yeah, right, right. And I like that's probably how like ninety nine percent of the people were. But as soon um, as like as soon as we started playing this stuff, I was like, I like this guy. Yeah, man, I it, like this it guy. Was, it again, and it was it was it was a God thing. Like mm-hmm. he completely took that fear and that uncomfortability because I was still like we were at the leadership meeting the weekend, but the Sunday before, and mm-hmm. I was just like looking around i'm like i don't know any of these people and none of these people know me and they're Mm. all probably prominent and they've known each other forever and everyone knows who they are Mm -hmm. and like who is this guy and it was like that was like i showed up and it was just it was wiped away and that's one thing that i've really realized over the past year or two is if you're listening to god no matter how horrifying it might seem no matter how out of place it might seem he will take control of the situation he will give you his peace he will give you his strength he will Mm -hmm. give you his words he will give you everything that you need to be his vessel like it doesn't have to come from you like if we try to rely on that fact we're never going to be able to do what he's called us to do Mm -hmm. because we can't do it like we're we're humans we're flesh we have to rely on him and his spirit to work through us so that's kind of like something that i've really and it's still like even over the past couple weeks i've kind of struggled with you know he's told me to do some things and i'm like whoa like god i don't like do you know who you're talking to like i don't that's not i don't think i think you got the wrong number bro like check it do you got a four and i think you might have hit the five and you were trying to have a i don't know you got the wrong number dude but i don't think i'm the one you were looking for and uh you know i've had some mentors like talking to me and they're like look like it's got to start somewhere like you you and even if it's not even if even if you listen and you go and do what he told you to do and you don't get the result that you thought might have come from this, like, it's not about that. It's about 
showing your faith and yeah. letting him know like father you are in control i have complete faith in you i'm going to let you work through me however you want mm-hmm. and it's just it's a service of faith it's mm-hmm. showing him your faith it, it there has to be a movement it's 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 so easy to talk about it and it's so easy to get caught up from any you know in a service and a feeling and this and that but if we're not taking it and we're not living in it daily and we're not bringing it into our personal lives and we're not connecting with him and having that relationship with him it's all for not yeah so that's kind of that's kind of where i'm at and it's 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 one of those things that um i'm trying to not like i've said i've said this a couple times where like um i'm like you know i know that i'm living right and i know that my relationship with god is you know where it needs to be for me to grow but i'm trying like the couple of times that I've said that I've had to like bounce back and be like, don't, don't take that as a, like I've hit the culmination of my relationship with God. Cause it's, that it's an ever growing relationship. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, it goes along with any other type of relationship you have. Like I'm still learning things about my wife. We've been together for seven years. I'm still learning things about my son who I've been there from day one of, you know, he's five mm-hmm. and a half. I'm still learning things about him. I'm still learning things about my mom who I've lived and had a closer relationship with, for 32 years like there's never a point where your relationship with god is perfect Mm -hmm. ever like it's it's always growing it's always getting deeper it's the point of understanding that and striving for that and being hungry enough to not get comfortable and say "Eh, i'm good here like Mm -hmm. i don't really you know what what more do i really need to advance like yeah you always have to be hungry you always have to be on fire The, the passion has to be there it's so easy to talk about but it's so easy to as well just slip into the cracks and mm-hmm. um, kind of get ignorant to your surroundings. You know, we've been talking about some strongholds and how you can live somewhere. You know, I've been in Hickory for seven, eight years now, and you can get so comfortable with your surroundings that you kind of become ignorant to the strongholds that are there yeah. and you don't recognize them because you've let it become a norm. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm in a constant state of like, Lord, like, don't let me become ignorant. Don't let me become complacent. Something mm-hmm. we've said in the military was complacency kills. Like, don't ever let me feel satisfied. Like I know that you are, you know, one, 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 food from your bread like that's all that i need you can quench hunger you can quench thirst your flame never dies that lasts but don't ever let me be satisfied that let me be hungry for more all the time so um i definitely want to encourage people i I, man for so long especially coming from coming from the background that i came from i i really had this feeling in this this thought of uh, I can't be used like I'm I'm broken I'm useless mm-hmm. like look at what I've done <clears throat> look at some of the things that I've said look at my actions like how could God ever use me and like that mm. thinking like that is so like so the blood isn't good enough mm-hmm. the cross wasn't good enough the sacrifice like yeah. he told us that we're not good enough, but because he's died and because he rose again and because he's given us new life in him, we are good enough. That makes us good enough. You can always be used. There's nothing that you can do that can't be forgiven. 
you're going to sin once you've once you've come to this place and you have a relationship with him your flesh is going to sin it's going to happen you're going to have to repent you're going to have to die to yourself in the flesh mm-hmm. daily it's not a it's there's no perfect life there's no point of perfection you are ever growing and to think like that along those lines of how I can't be that perfect, I can't be that person, you're just setting yourself up for failure. You have to understand right now, you are goat. People will fail. Humans' flesh will fail. And that's the that's thing. That's the way it's been. Um, like something I was thinking about, I want to throw in too, is like here's here, like the difference between a Christian and non-Christian is a Christian sins but repents of it. See, yeah. whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, you're going to sin, you're going to fall short. But a Christian knows they sin, and so they ask for forgiveness. And, and another thing, a difference is a a non-believer will live in sin. Yeah. A Christian just struggles with it. Because yeah. when you struggle with something, you fight with it, right? And a, an example I always use is like tug-of-war. You struggle pulling yeah. that rope. You try your best, but you're going to fail sometimes. You're going to lose sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. But you still have to get back up and keep fighting. Right. But a non-believer will just live in that sin and won't care. Right. You would get blackout drunk, but you're like, whatever, you know, let yeah, me just whatever. let me just keep going. You know, yeah. Papa Advil yep. and crack another one. open. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. But now when you struggle, when you feel that temptation to want to drink, when you feel that temptation to sin, you know how to fight against it and you know yeah. who to ask for help. 100%. So. And I can also say that, you know, as your relationship does develop, he will like, there are like, I don't like my desire, my will, like zero percent, like no part of me Mm -hmm. wants anything to do with alcohol whatsoever to the point, again, different topic for a different day. But, you know, the topic of, well, there's, you know, Christians, Jews drink wine in the Bible. Like, is it really is the alcohol the sin or is it? You know, becoming drunk on the alcohol. I don't don't want to get on that topic. Don't yeah. want to get on that topic. But let's say that I did live in this. In some, you know, I I think it's. Uh, I know there's multiple religions where like their their priests and their pastors will like openly go to a bar and drink because mm-hmm. as long as they're not getting blackout belligerent drunk, that's accepted. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even have that desire. And again, you have to I know your limits because of my relationship. You have you to do. know your limits. You, you do. If you yeah, have you a stronger, do. if you have a spirit of alcoholism, it's not best to go anywhere with a bar right. or anywhere yeah. with alcohol mm-hmm. because that spirit's going to call to you. Correct. But if you don't yeah. have that strong of a spirit, you go to a restaurant that has a bar in it, but you're not as much as likely to go drink, do stuff like yep. that. And I also yep. put in, in the Bible, alcohol and wine and all that was used to help with sickness. They didn't yeah. have clean water back then. Wine yeah. was the only clean thing they had, right? So they would drink that. Like Paul told Timothy to drink a little wine for your stomach because of his constant illness. He wasn't telling him, go drink, get drunk, and have yeah. a good time. Get drunk, yeah. right? Don't party. Yep. Yeah. He was just telling him, take it because you're frequently getting ill. Yeah. But now we have clean water sources. We have other methods. We have medicine. We have doctors. We have all kinds of different things. Now, back then, they didn't have that stuff. So that's what I always use when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know, if, you, if you're if you living in that relationship with God and you have that closeness with him, uh, you know, the things that the flesh used to like aren't mm-hmm. going to be appealing anymore. Like, yeah. that's just all there is to it. You, you, you aren't 
those aren't going to be the desires of your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, as, as that's one of my prayers is like empty my heart of all desires, like fill me with the desires mm-hmm. of your heart. Like yep. I want to desire what you want and he'll do that and he'll help you with that. And that's how he'll make those yours. It's to the point of, and again, I don't like, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, listening to different types of music, you know, certain entertainment that we might watch movies, TV shows. Um, I definitely think we have to guard ourselves and what we're filling our Mm -hmm. minds and our hearts with, because that definitely does translate into our spiritual relationships. Um, But it's to even like, for the longest time, I, I like just listen to straight worship music like i cut all other music out in my life music was such a huge part of my life i loved i mean literally country rap Mm hip-hop dubstep heavy metal rock like there was no genre that was off limits to me and i cut that out for a really for a you know really long time like i just refused to listen to any other type of music aside from worship music and then like classical orchestra music and then just recently um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to like, I'm going to let my, my phone like randomly play music for me. And it was like, I just found myself hitting skip. Like I just didn't even, even words that even songs that didn't like have vulgar language or like, I just wasn't, I didn't want it, you know? Yeah. And I'd find myself just clicking next and then a worship song would pop on. And like, I would find myself going back to work and like letting that worship music mm-hmm. enter in. Um, and again, it's just a testament. Like, seek god yeah with all that you have and the desires of your flesh will become the desires of what he wants it, it just it will mix into one not to say that like you said temptation will be there because mm-hmm. it's going to be like yep. we're, we were never it doesn't you can't ever find in the bible where we're absolved of that where we won't have temptation jesus was tempted but he overcame it with yeah. the power of the holy spirit absolutely so, and we have access to mm-hmm. that <laughs> so mm-hmm. um you know you're good enough you're good enough i don't whoever needs to hear that like that what you have been what you had done those are past tense like through the blood of jesus you can do anything new you are you are born again there's a reason they call it being born again you are fresh Mm -hmm. you get a fresh brand new start listen to him seek him he will make you whole he will fill those gaps he will you might you might be depressed you might feel no joy you might whatever it is those are feelings and he overcomes that he will fill it in i i i I promise you just uh, shut everything out give it a week give give yourself promise me just give yourself one week where you shut everything else out open your bible up stay in a time of prayer shut all the other tv shows off shut the music off if you're going to listen to music listen to worship music and spend that time worshiping him give it one week ask him to show you in one week and i promise the difference that you see and feel in your life will be night and day astronomically different i just Mm -hmm. just give me that one week and let him move and he will make a move i promise absolutely yeah Thank you so much for being on here. This is a awesome, yeah, awesome episode. Yeah, um, super glad. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. If, uh, it means a lot, dude. Yeah, I enjoy it, man. If you are listening right now, make sure to share this to every single person you know, everyone on your contact list, everybody you know. Make sure to hit the subscribe button. We do have some 
uh, more testimonies. Make sure you go watch those as well. And guys, when, when you listen to these testimonies, don't think your testimony is boring or not even a real testimony. Because if you've been yeah. brought out of the, if you've been brought out of things and brought towards God, that's a testimony. You you may not have had your skull smashed on concrete. You may not have you know you may not have been a party or you may you may have been raised in a Christian home your entire life, but yeah. you just never knew God. And then when you got older, you got a relationship with Him. That's a testimony. It didn't have 100%. to be something crazy and radical, right? Those yeah. testimonies are awesome to hear, but it doesn't have to be that, you know. But. Anyway, thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next week.